0: Jesus, we come before you and we recognize that uh, this day, or at least the celebration of this day, is so significant. It's absolutely crucial uh, to our faith. Lord, the resurrection, that you died but you rose again, death could not hold you. Lord, in rising, you defeated hell, you defeated death, you defeated the enemy, God, and you did that victory, Perform that victory for us, and we can share, partake in that victory by putting our faith in you, Lord. And I just pray that you would bless our message today. Uh, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would speak to their hearts and draw them to yourself. If, if For the people that do know you, Lord, I pray there would be a, a freshness and a newness to um, to, to the topic of the resurrection, we we know the story, Lord, but I pray that you would speak to our hearts in, in maybe different ways or remind us of things that uh, perhaps we forgot. Lord, so we ask for your spirit to anoint us, fill this place, God, fill our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we see all four gospel writers talk about the resurre- resurrection. The two most crucial components in the gospel are Jesus' death by crucifixion and his resurrection. So to start us off real quick, I'm just going to read Luke's account. We'll be in Luke chapter 24, and then the main topic of focus will be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul makes the argument for the resurrection. But just to remind us, if you're not familiar with the story or if it's been a while, Luke chapter 24, verse 1, it says, uh, Now on the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid... And bowed their faces to the ground. They said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus rose from the dead. And the disciples at first, they, they weren't sure about this. It says in the Bible that they didn't believe at first. These are idol tales. This is a fairy tale. But the Bible teaches this. The Gospels and the Epistles. And why does the Bible teach this? And why does it focus on this? Why is the resurrection such a significant part of our faith? Why does the resurrection matter? And that's the title of this teaching why the resurrection ma- why does the resurrection matter. See, we're going to look at the past history, the present effect and the future hope of the resurrection as these things specifically pertain to why the resurrection matters. First off, I want to look at the past history of the resurrection. And we're going to see, <laughs> this Bible is about had its last, last day. 1 Corinthians chapter, I just can't let it go. I got to let it go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, he makes an argument for the resurrection. It's really what the whole chapter is about. This is the first point. The past history of the resurrection. Let's look at the past history of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you that the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and when, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to The scriptures. That's the gospel. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And every component of that is crucial to our faith. And before Paul really gets into the crucifi- or into the resurrection, he mentions the crucifixion. Why? Because the crucifixion is a crucial component as well. One time I was in El Salvador and I was talking to this guy on a bus and and I mentioned the name Jesus. I was sharing the gospel with him. And this guy said, there's not a shred of evidence that Jesus actually existed. And I just laughed at him. Like, I laughed. I wasn't trying to be rude, but I was shocked. Uh, I had somebody say that to me in the past, but it's so rare to find someone that actually knows history to say something like that. You know why? Because even atheist historians will say they know Jesus existed. It's a verifiable historical fact that Jesus actually came to this earth, and he died on the cross. We can verify the crucifixion through history. See, when we look at the crucifixion, it's not some tall tale. It's not just a fairy tale. It is an actual historical event. And we can look at this as uh, historians would look at other um, ancient records, and we can verify this. We'll bring up a couple topics to help us understand that we can trust first in the crucifixion before we get into the resurrection. First of all, we had early sources confirm the crucifixion. We see that through the Gospels and the Epistles and other historical uh, sources that I'll mention here in a second. So those letters, the Gospels and the Epistles, they were spreading within decades of the time that Jesus died. That means that there were still people alive that, I, that were eyewitnesses to these events. If these records weren't true... And people would have just denied them, And these records wouldn't have spread. We wouldn't have so many gospels, so many epistles, so many accounts of these things happening. But it's not just the gospels and the epistles. There are multiple ancient sources that support the crucifixion of Christ. There was a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus who said that Jesus died on the cross. He existed around the same time as Jesus. We also see a man by the name of Josephus, a Jewish historian. These guys weren't believers, but they tell us in history that there was a man named Jesus, and he died on the cross. We can also look at the eyewitness testimonies throughout the New Testament. And scholars, even scholars who don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, They verify that the Gospels and the Epistles were based on eyewitness testimonies. They say, hey, maybe they thought they saw something that they didn't, but they know these eyewitnesses claim that the crucifixion actually happened. And when we look at the Gospels, we see that's exactly what the Gospels claim. Luke said, basically, hey, I went around and asked people that were there and I talked to them. We can't say that Luke actually saw everything, but he went around and he talked to the eyewitnesses to understand what Jesus did through his ministry and his death and his resurrection. John, in John chapter 21, verse 24, if you want to write this down, John 21, verse 24, it says this. This is the disciple who is bearing witness to these things and who has written these things. John saying I was there. I saw these things. Like I am an eyewitness to these events. Not only that. We see that there." is a lot of embarrassing testimony throughout the Gospels. What do I mean? Well, we just read that the disciples didn't believe in the resurrection at first. They didn't believe Jesus until Jesus actually encountered them. And even then, their first encounter with Jesus, they were still in disbelief. They didn't understand until they spent enough time with them, And then they believed. They realized everything was true. Jesus was alive before their very eyes in His resurrected state. But we also see some embarrassing testimony about Jesus himself what do i mean jesus was weeping crying in the garden of gethsemane asking his father hey hey let the cup of suffering pass from me if there's another way we can do this let me have it that way what the father say basically no because that's how jesus responds nevertheless not my will but yours be done we also see jesus on the cross after he was scourged and brutally beaten hair ripped out of his beard spit on he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? What does that mean? Now we know it's a prophecy from Psalm uh, chapter 22. But if the gospel writers are trying to persuade people to believe in the Jewish Messiah, then the picture that they're painting is not a pretty picture. If they're trying to persuade people to believe in this Davidic type of king, then the things that they use here make us question what's going on. Why didn't the disciples believe in the resurrection right away? Why did Jesus say that God had forsaken him? Why did all these different things happen to the Lord? Why are these there are these embarrassing testimonies? But the, the gospel writers aren't just trying to persuade people to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What they're trying to do is just speak the truth. This is what happened. We're going to tell you what's happening, even if it doesn't support our cause, because this is the truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. We're going to communicate what Jesus did, what he said, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The most solid historical fact about Jesus Christ was that he died by crucifixion. Okay, There's this critic, an unbeliever, scholar, His name is John Crusack. Listen to what he says. He doesn't believe, okay? But he says this. Jesus' death by crucifixion under Pontius Pilate is as sure as anything historical can ever be. (laughs) Anything historical. But the disciples, they didn't believe Jesus was God because he died on a cross, They believe that Jesus was God in the flesh because he rose again. And that's the point that Paul's making here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you would with me, picking it back up, will be in verse 5. It says, And that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom... The greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I want to break this down and understand this better. First, Paul says, Jesus is in his resurrected form. He appeared to Peter. He also appeared to the 12. So we see that people that actually followed Jesus, that believed in Jesus, they claimed to witness the resurrection. They saw Jesus in his glorified, resurrected form. But this is interesting. Why? Because the night before Jesus died, what did the the disciples do? They fled. They were afraid. They were scared. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane when those soldiers came to take Jesus They bailed on their buddy. They bailed on their friend. They bailed on the Messiah. But now they're claiming to witness this thing. And not only are they claiming to witness this thing, they're preaching about the resurrection in boldness. So much so that each and every one of those men were persecuted. They were persecuted for their faith. In fact, 11, or sorry, 10 of the 11 plus more, we got James and Paul and other ones, But of the disciples he's mentioning here, Judas bailed. You remember, he betrayed Jesus. But 10 of the 11 were actually martyred for their faith. They were killed. How do you go from fleeing in the garden in fear to boldly proclaiming the message of the gospel, the truth of the resurrection? They believed it so much so that they were willing to die for their faith. We see Cephas. He's mentioned Peter. Peter, we know, just as Jesus prophesied, the night before he died leading up to that day, he denied the Lord three times. To a little girl, he even denied the Lord. He was afraid of a little girl. And then Peter, you know how he died? First of all, they were trying to get him to recant his faith, okay? They said, hey, you can't, you can't keep preaching in the name of Jesus. You can't keep saying that you saw Jesus resurrected. It's a threat to Caesar and his power and his deity because they believe Caesar was a God. And you know what happened? To try to persuade him to recant his faith? Just say, you didn't see it. Just say, you didn't see it. They crucified his wife right in front of him. They crucified his wife in front of him. And then when they went to crucify Peter... Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my king, and they crucified him upside down. The reality of it is, the disciples didn't just die for something they believed in. They died for something that they witnessed. Think about it. Are you gonna let your wife die for some fairy tale you made up? No. Nobody would do that. It wasn't just a belief. They witnessed the resurrection. Nobody would die for a lie. Who would die for a lie, right? People die for faith. They die for things that they believe in. But this isn't that. This is people saying they actually saw this. All they had to say is, hey, you can have your life. Just say that you didn't see the resurrected Lord. Just stop talking about it. And they wouldn't do it. They died as martyrs. But it doesn't just say that Cephas in the 12th Psalm it says back in First Corinthians chapter 15 that there were over 500 witnesses. We're not just talking about a small group of men that followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. We're talking about over 500 people saw the resurrected king. Think about this. If there was a murder trial and you had 500 people come forth and say, I saw this person kill this other person, what do you think would happen in the court of law? That person would be sentenced to whatever the judge thought was the appropriate punishment. This is what's happening, 500 witnesses. In that culture, all you needed was two or three witnesses to basically accuse someone of being guilty or innocent. That's why Jesus made it so obvious he showed up to 500 different people. Paul says they're still here today. Most of these people, they haven't died yet. So we're still within a short time period from when the resurrection actually happened. We also see that Paul's basically saying, hey, if you don't believe me, go ask one of these 500 people, okay? (laughs) I'm not the only one that's saying, I saw the resurrected king. Go ask somebody else. These people are still alive. It says, after that, after he appeared to the 500, verse 7. It says, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, it says in verse 8, then last of all, he was seen by me also as as by one born out of due time. This is Paul the Apostle. So we see not only people that believed in Jesus claim uh, to to witness the resurrected king. People that didn't believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry claim to witness Jesus in his resurrected form. James, the James being referred to, this isn't James the brother of John. This is James the half-brother of Jesus. And we see, if you want to write this down... In John chapter 7, verse 5, we see that the Lord's brothers, they didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They grew up with him, and they were still in disbelief until the resurrection. Then we see in Acts chapter 1 that all his brothers believed. They didn't believe during his life. They didn't even believe during his death. They didn't believe till they saw him risen from the grave. James, the brother of Jesus, He ends up becoming the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. You know what happens? Because he keeps preaching the gospel, because he won't recant his faith, they threw him off the temple mount. But he survived. So then, they beat him to death. All because he kept claiming that he saw Jesus in his resurrected form. He went from disbelief to belief, all because of the resurrection. But not just him. Paul says he speaks of himself too. I too saw Jesus. Sorry about that, microphone i got to get a new one of these things. This doesn't really work well for me. Paul says, I saw Jesus too. We see that Paul had an encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. And he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. Why? Because I persecuted the church. I persecuted Christians for a while before what? Jesus appeared to me in his resurrected form. And then we see Paul the apostle. He becomes the most powerful apostle that ever lived. Wrote over half of the New Testament. You don't go from persecuting a people of a specific faith to being like one of the primetime leaders of that faith just because he had a change of heart, just because I had a change of mind. You know what? I'm going to persecute Christians. I don't feel like doing it anymore. I'm going to join them. That doesn't happen. You don't join your enemy, if you will, just because of a sudden change of heart. He says... He saw the resurrected Lord. And you know what ended up happening to Paul? Because he wouldn't recant his faith. He kept saying that the resurrection was true. He was beheaded in Rome by Caesar. When we see these men and women, there were women too. Mary was the first that saw the resurrected king and see what happens later later on in church history. It's absolutely amazing. How does someone go from disbelief or questioning these things uh, to to be willing to die for their faith? Because they actually saw Jesus risen from the grave. And the resurrection, it radically changed these people's lives forever. So if you look at the history of the resurrection in the same way that historians look at other historical accounts, it's a verifiable proof, meaning we can prove that the resurrection is an actual historical event. We can prove that through logic and the methods that they use to look at other historical events. But the resurrection is not just a historical fact. It has a present effect. That's the second point. The present effect of the resurrection. It isn't just something that happened over 2,000 years ago. Yes, it is, but it impacts us and affects us to the present day. See, when we accept the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know what happens? He makes us a new creation. That's what it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17... He says, Paul speaking, he says, you are a new creation in Christ, a new creation. He literally comes inside of us, into our hearts, changes our lives. In fact, when we put our faith in the gospel, He gives us new hearts. He gives us new hearts. He gives us new hearts. He changes some of our desires. Now, when God comes into our hearts, changes our hearts, It changes our lives, and it changes our lives forever. Now, I don't mean to say that when Jesus comes into your life, you're going to be perfect. None of us are perfect. He was the only one that's perfect. But there are going to be some changes. There are going to be some changes of desire. Now, I want Jesus more than I wanted these, or more than I want all these other things. We see that the Lord's responsibility when we accept the gospel is to come into our hearts and start changing those desires. But we also see that we have a responsibility as well. In Romans chapter 6, I'll read it for you if you want to flip there. Romans chapter 6, we see in verse 4, Look at verse 3 for a little context. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into, the, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. See what Paul tells us there? He uses the illustration of baptism. He says when you get baptized, anyone here get baptized before? Me too, twice. First time didn't work. Second time worked. When we get baptized, there's there's an illustration that's happening. He says we're baptized into his death. What we're symbolizing there is when Jesus he died and he was buried in the tomb. And then when we come out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection. Walking in the newness of life is the charge that Paul gives us. You're a new person. You're a new creation. Quit acting like the old man. Quit acting like the old woman. God is going to work in your heart so that you can walk in the newness of life. But it's our responsibility to walk in that newness of life. He puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24, I'll summarize. He says, put off the old man and put on the new. I'm putting the old man to death. No more old man, no more old woman. I don't want to practice those sins anymore. I want to be the new man, the new woman who God has created me to be because I'm not the same. This is the present effect that the gospel has when we believe in the resurrection. As that song says, he's resurrecting me. He's transforming me from the inside out. Now, I'm not perfect, as I mentioned. I'm a work in progress. But a believer should be marked by progress. A believer should be marked by progress. We should be. If he's really resurrecting us from the inside out, in other words, transforming us, changing us, there should be evidence of change. We should become better and better as time goes on. Now, we might have hiccups. We might fall back fall back into old ways. We might backslide as the Bible teaches. But if you take like a a big chunk of time, there should be this progressive growth that happens in the believer. That's the present effect of the resurrection. And you know what happens when we give into this? We give into the moving of the Spirit and, and we try our best to walk in obedience and we allow the Lord to change those things in our heart and in our lives. We get to experience the promises of God. One being... Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come to give him life and life to the fullest or life more abundantly. Says This is why I came. Yes, I came to give you eternal life, but I came to, you, to give you abundant life. Now, And I do that through working on your heart on a daily basis, giving you that new heart, but you got to do your part. you got to walk in the newness of life. you got to keep putting off the old man and putting on the new because Jesus wants us to experience abundant life. That doesn't always be mean an easy life, but you know what it does mean? A life that's full of joy, a life that's full of love, a life that's full of peace, even when bad times happen. In 1 John chapter 1, Let's flip there. Actually, First John chapter one. Uh, John introduces this the same the same uh, author of the Gospel of John. John tells us he starts speaking of eyewitness testimonies, and this is what he says in First John chapter one, verse one: "That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, we touched the risen King, concerning the Word of Life." Why is he writing this? He wants you to experience what he experienced. He wants you to have a fullness of joy. He wants you to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. John didn't have it easy. He was persecuted. He was burned alive in oil and exiled to the island of Patmos. But the joy that he experienced from the Lord, it wasn't based on his circumstances. It was based on his hope. It was based on his relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is why I speak the things that I speak, so that you can have this fullness of joy as well. Now, Jesus, when we believe the gospel, he doesn't just change our lives in the present. He gives us eternal life in the future. This is the third and final point, the future hope of the resurrection, the future hope of the resurrection. Yes, we can historically verify the resurrection. Yes, the resurrection has a present effect in our lives right now, even today. But There's also a future hope of the resurrection. Jesus, like that's the worst, right? I'm the one that had the phone on. Oh, gosh, (laughs) (laughs) forgive me. I'll never get on you if your phone rings in here. <laughs> John, chapter 11. Uh, Jesus, one of his really good friends named Lazarus, he, he died. Um, and, and Jesus, he didn't stop Lazarus from dying because he wanted to show the people there uh, who he was. So he let Lazarus die. Uh, he ended up raising Lazarus from the grave. But he says this before he does it. He has this conversation with Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha like, Lord, if you could have just been there, he wouldn't have died. Jesus says there's a point to all this. He wants them to know something. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And that's the question we each have to ask ourselves. Do I believe this? Do I believe that Jesus is the resurrection? Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Not Buddha, not Krishna, not Muhammad, no one else. If you want to be resurrected to your heavenly father, the God that created you, it's only through Jesus Christ because he is the resurrection. He says it like this in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't think you're getting to Him because to get to Him you gotta go through me and to go through me you gotta believe in me. You gotta believe in the resurrection. This is the only way for us to experience the resurrection. That Jesus is the embodiment of the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20, we'll get there again here in a moment. But Paul says that that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have risen from the grave. He's the first fruit. What does he mean? He's the first one that was resurrected. He literally paved the way to heaven. He paved the way of the resurrection. But it's only through him that we can experience this future hope of the resurrection. So why does the resurrection matter? It matters Because if the resurrection didn't happen, then our faith is absolutely meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. And Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you would with me. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul goes on speaking, arguing for the resurrection. And he says, look at verse 15. He says, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. He's saying, hey, you know, we're false witnesses. We're going to experience such horrible judgment if we're telling you that the resurrection is true and it's not. And he says in verse 16, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are to, of all men the most pitiable. Is our there faith? There's no resurrection. Our faith is completely futile. In other words, useless. Our faith is useless. It means absolutely nothing. means nothing without the resurrection. If Christ was just a holy man that came and died on the cross, Christianity means nothing. We're just putting our faith in a man. But because he rose from the grave, it means something different. Paul says, we're the most pitiable. Like, people should take pity on us. Like, we're the most pathetic people on the face of the earth. If we believe that Jesus rose and he didn't, all our effort, all our energy, coming to church, being right here, if the resurrection is true, you're wasting your time. You really are. Pursuing Jesus, praying, reading your Bible, doing anything for the Lord, if the resurrection is true, isn't true, then it means nothing. It's absolutely useless. All the effort, all the energy, tithes, whatever you do for the Lord, all of that's in vain if the resurrection isn't true. But then Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says, but don't worry, because Christ rose and I saw him. I can tell you the truth that Jesus did rise from the dead. I'm not a false witness. Why would I tell you this? What gain would it bring me? Paul wasn't even taking like uh, a paycheck from the church. He was trying to make his testimony so pure. Even though he says, hey, I deserve to get paid for doing what I'm doing because I'm pouring my life out. But I'm not even going to take that. Paul didn't benefit from the resurrection in the worldly sense. He was scourged several times. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned basically to death, and the Lord pretty much brought him back to life, he went through so much suffering. If you went through all of that, you think he'd go through all of that for just something that, you know, hey, this seems like a good gig, right? I'm just going to tell people about Jesus and that the resurrection is true, and I'm just going to tell people that this actually happened when he did it. Why would he go through all of that heartache, that pain, and that suffering only to be beheaded later on? He's telling the church at Corinth, he's telling us, you can rest assured that the resurrection is true. You know how I know the resurrection is true? Because God has radically changed my life. I'm far from perfect, but if you knew who I was before, you might not even come to this church. I was a horrible person. My parents didn't trust me. I was a drug addict. They wouldn't allow me to, to, to come to Thanksgiving or Easter or Christmas for that matter. I wasn't allowed in the house. I wasn't allowed anywhere near my family. My, 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 uh, uh, my sister, my brother-in-law wouldn't let me hang out with Savannah, my first niece. None of that. Until what? I realized. Jesus is legit. He's real. And he actually died on a cross and he rose from the grave. And from that point forward, my life has radically changed. My dad said one time, he was on the fence. He's a scientist. He's a health physicist. And he wasn't walking with the Lord. And I used to beg him, like, Dad, just accept the Lord. Like, you know, look at what he's doing in my life, you know, trying to, trying to get him there. And it wasn't for about after two years after I got saved. And my mom told me, because uh, my brother got saved, he was an addict as well, a month after I did, and he's uh erratic, radical change as well. My dad said to my mom, one day, about two years after I was saved, he said to her, how could we not believe this? Look at them. Look at them. They're totally different people. No, they got issues. They got problems. He said, look at them. We would be foolish not to believe that the gospel is true. Ever since then, my mom and my dad have been walking so tight with the Lord. My dad's like going to different countries, doing mission trips. He basically uses his retirement to serve the Lord. It's crazy. The scientists, the scientists, he's walking with the Lord. God radically changed his life as well. You know how I know the resurrection is true? Not only have I changed, I've seen so many people in my life change. People in this church, people in other countries that I've been to, people in other places that I've lived. And I'm not talking about mere behavior modification. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not just talking about one day I decided to wake up and start reading my Bible. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a complete change of heart, a change of life. I literally know child soldiers that are leaders in churches now. I know addicts that are pastors. I know murderers that are walking strongly and faithfully with the Lord. I know some people that have been pretty messed up. And this world basically chewed them up and spit them out. And by believing in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, their lives have been changed forever. Maybe you've experienced some of that change. Or maybe you haven't. And maybe you want to. See, the resurrection, as we discussed, when you study it historically, many people, atheists, that went to study the resurrection to see if it's uh, historically verifiable have ended up getting saved because they recognize it's a legitimate historical fact. But it still takes faith. It still takes faith to, belie- to, to believe in the resurrection. And that's what Jesus told us in John chapter 11. Verses 25 to 26, he says, if you believe, if you believe, do you believe this? Because even though we can have all the evidence in the world, you could see family members, friends, all these people radically changed. But it still requires you personally to put your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you're not just putting your faith in an event. You're putting your faith in a person. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am. It's not just a historical event that happened. It's the person of Jesus Christ. This word faith is not an intellectual thing. It's not just like, yeah, sure, Jesus was, was real. The Bible says even the demons have an intellectual faith and they perish. This faith is the word trust, really. Putting our trust in Jesus. And any relationship that you're ever in, it requires trust. I wouldn't have married my wife if I didn't trust her, Right? You don't have friends that you don't really trust. And if you do have friends that you don't trust, get new friends, okay? <laughs> Relationships require trust, and that's what the Lord asks of us. He says, put your trust in me. Put your trust in me. If you want to experience eternal life, you've got to put your trust in me. There has to be a relationship. And that relationship, it's got to be pursued. There's got to be communication. There's got to be evidence that you actually love me, that you desire me. Not just a profession of faith, but a life that shows, reveals the significance and the truth of that profession of faith. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Before I pray, and we get into this next song. If you're one of those people that are on the fence, like if you came here because it's just, you know, it's Easter, it's resurrection day, we go to, that's what I did for many years. We, we went to church twice a year. Went to church on Christmas Eve, and we went to church on Easter, and I couldn't stand it. Why do we have to do this? Because I didn't believe. I didn't understand. I didn't understand the significance and the truth of the gospel. If you're one of those people that's on the fence and you're not sure, and the Lord's doing something in your heart right now, As we go to pray, I want you to pray personally that even in this moment that Jesus would reveal Himself to you, that He'd get a hold of your heart, that He'd touch your life, that you would recognize that the Gospel is true, that He actually died, that He rose rose again, and that resurrection solidified His deity, that He truly was God in the flesh. So let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you that we get a day to celebrate your resurrection. Lord, but we know that it's not just a day. We can celebrate your resurrection every single day of our lives. As we were singing, you're resurrecting us. You're the king of the resurrection. You are the resurrection, the embodiment of it, and you paved the way so that we could enter eternal life, Lord. And we thank you so much for that. We thank you so much for the life that we'll have in the future and the life that you give us in the present. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't leave here unchanged. That the time of worship and, and getting in your word, Lord, it would have a, an everlasting effect in our lives and in our hearts. But we know there's a reality that some of that's on us, us to respond to what you're doing in our hearts. Lord, so we thank you so much for this day. We pray that we would bless, that you would bless the rest of our day and and we would bless you in the way that we live this day out specifically and all the days to come generally before i say amen you could keep your heads bowed heart of prayer and if you're a believer if you know jesus i'd ask you to pray for anyone and everyone that's in this room or the other rooms that the lord would get a, a hold of their heart right now that they wouldn't leave here unsaved that they wouldn't leave here unchanged So church, if you can just be praying for anyone in the church that doesn't really truly know the Lord. And I'll ask those that are uncertain. Maybe you made a profession of faith when you were a kid like I did, but your faith wasn't legitimate. You weren't actually following Jesus. The change didn't happen. You had an intellectual belief, but the change of heart never took place. I'm going to ask you, if you want to accept Jesus today, to just raise your hand, just raise your hand. It's between you and the Lord. The Bible says in John chapter six, verse forty-four, He says, "No one comes to me unless my Father draws him or her in." The Lord draws us, He does it through the Holy Spirit, and often. It feels like something happened in your heart like a wrestle, like a fight, like a battle. And it is a battle. It's a battle over your soul. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. But you got to respond. you got to accept that work. You need to accept the Messiah. You need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If that's happening, your heart's beating, maybe you're, you're wrestling with this thing you don't know, not ready to give up these things. You don't have to give up things to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and you'll see the work that he does in your life will persuade you, motivate you to start giving up some things. You can come to Jesus exactly the way you are right now. In Romans chapter 10 verses 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a confession of the mouth and it's a belief in the heart. If there's that stirring happening in your heart right now, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. Just repeat after me. Stay there in your chairs. Lord Jesus, I believe in your death and resurrection. I believe that you've forgiven me of my sins. Lord, I ask you to wash me clean. Give me a new heart and give me the strength to walk with you all the days of my life. I thank you for your love for me. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.